book is so awesome. I can do anything. This book is so awesome. I am the potions king. Did you hear that half book prince? I said I was the king. Can you hear me, Professor Snape? I can make anything. This book is so awesome. Hi, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And you're listening to Potter and Daughter, the Harry Potter podcast, where I talk to my eight-year-old daughter as she reads through the Harry Potter book series, and we recap each chapter and the major goings-on therein. Lily, how you doing? Good. We are at chapter 27 of which book? The Order of the Phoenix. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. This is book five. Chapter 27, The Centaur and the Sneak. Who is the centaur in question here? Ferenzi. And how did Frenzy get the job as, uh, well, first of all, what job does he have and who did he get it from? Um, he got, um, divination. Yeah. He's the, he's the new divination teacher. He's replaced who? Um, Professor Trelawney. And who hired him? Um, Professor Dumbledore. Yeah, so Dumbledore is uh, has brought Frenzy in as a sort of a a what's it? What's a kind way of saying a um, in your face move to Umbridge? Right? Mm-hmm. He's saying, "Okay, well, you don't want you don't like my divination teacher. I'm uh, gonna hire a teacher you hate even more." And why? Did, why? Even though she's never met him and likely never would why does she already hate frenzy because he's a centaur and he's half horse half human so um she considers them to be all animal beasts yeah they're not they're not as good as humans as far as she's concerned which obviously isn't is ridiculous because we can tell bonkers that frenzy has you know above average human intelligence bonkers bananas bogus whatever yeah uh so Frenzy tells Harry and his friends something about the way they've been doing divination. He's got a different approach. Do you remember what what the differences are? Uh, his classroom is definitely decorated differently. Well, what what Frenzy says is that Professor Trelawney and all humans, uh, wizards, versions of divination are inferior and kind of garbage. That when they gaze into crystal balls and try and tell the future, they don't actually learn anything. Do you remember what his method for divination is? Stargazing? Yeah, they look at the stars kind of like people do uh, astrology now, which also isn't real. But in, in this book, he's saying that his form of divination with astrology is the real kind. But he also says that the human wizard version of just looking at a ball and finding out what's actually going to happen is bogus because his version is open up to interpretation. So they, they look at the stars, they try and learn things and then they sort of get vague ideas. But he did, he did have a, uh, not quite a prophecy, but sort of a foretelling about Harry. Do you remember what he said? Um, no, he said that it was foretold that they would meet again. And, Uh. The class is all impressed because Harry seems to already know the crazy centaur that's teaching their class now. Uh, After the class, Frenzy asks Harry to tell Hagrid 
that his attempt is not working and he would be better to, to abandon it. it. Yeah. We don't know what he's talking about. Harry doesn't know what he's talking about, right? Right. What is the big test that's coming up? Owls. Now, I I know that this has been a topic of confusion on this podcast in particular. Uh, the, the very concepts of owls and newts and how they relate to, you know, human studying <laughs> uh, our, our actual school system. And it's because we don't, we in America don't have anything to relate to it, right? Right. Um, so I actually have a comment that I pulled up from our website. Uh, this was back from uh, the end of July from a listener named Liz. Liz says, in the UK, you have to take GCSEs, which is owls, or the equivalent, but you can leave school after that. You get a choice of subjects, but are usually expected to take at least math, science, and English, and around nine or ten subjects in total. If you don't leave school, you take A-levels, which are newts. That's the higher ones, right? Yes. In college. And then you have a choice to apply to university. And that's what they call college. You usually specialize in at least three subjects in A-level. So the OWLs are basically what you have to complete to graduate. And then the NEWTs are your, your specialties, according to Liz. But everyone's been so mixed, I assume somebody will also refute her interpretation, unless so, it's universally accepted. Say, thanks, Liz, I guess. Yeah, thanks, Liz, for trying to clear that up. Uh, in, in America, at least in public school, you we just don't have anything like that. You, you take your, your normal uh, end-of-year exams to graduate to the next, to get your credit for that class. But high school is different than other classes. You need a certain number of credits to move on, but they don't always care where those credits come from. Like you have to take your math and your science and whatnot. And you have to take certain electives, but you can fail like one class in one subject and still graduate. You just have to take that class again. And so you're allowed to sort of keep doing things over and over to a certain extent. And then if you have enough credits, which is like 40, you graduate. And then you go to college, and it sort of has nothing to do with what you did in high school. We don't really, we don't actually prepare kids for college unless they choose to do that on their own. It's, 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 it's kind of backwards. But anywho, that's muggle stuff. That's not interesting. <laughs> um, so the owls are drawing nearer. And uh, do you think this is something that Harry's concerned about right now? Probably not. Probably not. As, as usual, his life's falling apart. His uh, very existence is in danger, and everyone he trusts is either away or not talking to him, or uh, some other you know incommunicado situation. And plus, he's surrounded on all sides by enemies. So, um, and actually, um, I was I was um just gonna mention this. Um, Umbridge actually looks d- um different than. Um, than she does in the books. Like, she looks less toady and more like Aunt Petunia. Yeah, they made her kind of, they made her look like a sweet old, not even old really, just a sweet lady. Kind of a plump sweet lady with a mean attitude in the 
books, she seems more physically repulsive to go along with her her attitude. But I think that's important that they they give you some visuals to imagine her with in the books because you can't see what she looks like. And so they want you to understand that people are grossed out even just at the sight of her. Not that not that her looks are that important, but that her froggy importance, her froggy appearance sort of matches her reptilian personality. So uh, speaking of Umbridge, the only thing in Harry's life right now that he's enjoying is the DA meetings. They're practicing the Patronus charm, which everyone seems to do pretty well at. But as of Harry's trial, we know that are kids even doing a Patronus charm? Is that even normal? Uh, no. It's not normal. So, Harry has sort of opened their eyes to something that they wouldn't have been taught by their parents or by their teachers or anyone, and they all perform rather well at it. Kind of showing that maybe the Hogwarts curriculum, even under Dumbledore, might have been underestimating the kids, right? Yes, but so that also means Harry is a really good teacher. Yeah, he's not just a good wizard. He seems to be a good teacher, and it his motivation is different. He's not trying to teach kids so they can pass tests. He's teaching them so they can survive. He knows danger is coming, and they kind of seem to know it, but I'm sure they don't quite really understand it yet. I think a lot of them just like the idea of being in the cool wizard club with Harry. <laughs> I think, And I think I'm sure a lot of them are very enthusiastic that they're learning new stuff they wouldn't have learned otherwise. And so maybe they can leave thinking, Hey, like I can hold my own at Hogwarts. Now, if anybody, if any Slytherins pick on me, I know some stunning charms and I know Patronus and I know all kinds of stuff. So I'm kind of great. They might not realize yet that before too long, they may have to use these spells to survive their, like save their lives and possibly someone else's. Exactly. So, Harry is Harry's thrust into this role just as he is every other role, but he tends to, you know, he tends to rise to the occasion when he has to, uh, they're, they're having a DA meeting. Dobby shows up. What does Dobby warn them about? He warns them, th- um, that Umbridge is coming. And so they all scatter. They're like, Oh crap. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. What happens to Harry? Um, um, he gets caught by a slit by a Slytherin girl. He gets caught by Draco, uh, uh, who gives him a trip jinx. He intentionally trips Harry with a spell. He's captured, and he's taken to Dumbledore's office. There's McGonagall and Fudge waiting. Kingsley Shacklebolt's there. He's a high up at the Ministry of some sort, and uh, Percy is there, ready to take notes, and. Uh, Umbridge sort of asks Harry, do you know what you're doing here? But Dumbledore gives him a sign. Do you remember what, what Dumbledore does to, for Harry? No. Harry's about to confess. He's about to say, yeah, I know what I'm doing here. I got this Dumbledore's army thing going on and we're not going to let you destroy our school. Dumbledore gives him a look and just barely shakes his head side to side. Says, no, don't, don't tell him. Harry says, yeah, no. No, I don't know what I'm doing here. 
So what piece of evidence have they found that I spoke of earlier that kind of ruins everything for them? Everyone's scattering out at one time. No, that's not it. What? How do they know the name Dumbledore's Army? Don't know. Do you remember when they all wrote their name down on a piece oh, of paper? Yeah. And wrote Dumbledore's Army on it? Yeah. Okay. I'm not even sure if this is exactly where that is revealed, but that that's where they find the name... Dumbledore's army, but anywho, uh, there is also a the sneak involved in this chapter title. Who is the sneak? What's her name? Her name's Marietta. We uh, don't know her. Yeah, otherwise. that's right. Um, um, it's Marietta, one of the kids in Dumbledore's army, who is Cho's friend, I believe. Yeah, and she has a particular facial issue going on. Uh, based on Hermione's protection spell of that list, what has happened to Marietta's face? In bumps and boils all the way across her face, it says sneak. And I think by sneak they mean snitch, right? Uh. And I guess they wouldn't say snitch because the golden snitch means something else. It might be confusing. <laughs> but we would say snitch. We would say someone who has told a secret is a snitch. They say sneak. Okay. So... Umbridge also says Marietta's mom works at the ministry and that she's also been informing on people who use the flu network in ways that Umbridge doesn't like. So it's like, you know, her mom's a snitch. She's a snitch. Uh, Marietta has told on them. And because of the charm that Hermione put on the list of Dumbledore's army people, this spell has backfired on her and, you know, given her these bumps and boils all over her face. Uh, Dumbledore argues that this this uh, society was put together before the decree that students couldn't have societies. So Harry's innocent. What is Dumbledore getting at here? He's saying that... Even though you made that um, rule, it doesn't count because this thing was made before you made that Well, rule. not only that, but is Dumbledore going to let Harry take the fall for this? No. So what? what is Dumbledore's move here? What does he do next? Then he says, I completely knew about all of this. I was the one who put it together. Um, At least in the movies, he says, it doesn't say Harry Potter's army, does it? I don't remember if he says that in the book or not. But he basically takes the name, which it it's likely. Do you think Dumbledore knew these kids were having these meetings? Probably. Probably. There's, <laughs> there's probably nothing that goes on at Hogwarts that he doesn't actually know about. Whether he lets on or not is a completely different story. But for whatever reason... He is quickly making up lies to save Harry. Yeah, the um, one of the the one of the only times he doesn't know about something is when the fake Mad Eye Moody makes the cup of porky. Yeah, he doesn't know anything about uh, the plans of of Barty Crouch Junior. But he 
it's safe to say that if the kids he likes are having a club on his campus, he probably knows about it. Uh, so what does Umbridge order happen to Dumbledore for having this secret army, which is the thing that Fudge has feared most? Go to ask, man. Dumbledore says, well, it's just that you seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to, what's the phrase? Come quietly. I am afraid that I am not going to come quietly at all, Cornelius. I have absolutely no intention of being sent to Azkaban. I could break out, of course, but what a waste of time, and frankly, I can think of a whole host of things I would rather be doing. What does that say about Dumbledore? Is he, is he afraid of these people? No, he is a really powerful wizard, because he could break out. Well, not only not only that, but he, he's showing... Loyalty to Harry. That's true. That is correct. He's also showing that he is... He's not intimidated by these bullies, and he knows what they are. He knows they're bullies, and he knows he's more powerful than they are. He knows that there's nothing they could do. He could go along and pretend, but he doesn't have to. And so he decides, yeah, I'm out of here. So how does he escape? Because you can't apparate in or out of Hogwarts. Uh... You don't remember how he escapes? No. It has something to do with his phoenix. Oh, does Fox come and take him out? Yeah, Fox comes and grabs him. Um, Dumbledore, I I guess as he's leaving, uh, Dumbledore tells Harry again that he must study occlumency as hard as he can, and he'll soon understand why. When Dumbledore touches Harry, he feels pain in his scar. And again, feels that hate and anger towards him, like he wants to kill him. Uh, Fox grabs Dumbledore and he disappears. So there's some sort of phoenix magic that circumvents the you can't apparate in or out of Hogwarts thing, right? Yeah. Phoenixes seem to have, they're like house elves. They have powers that no one else seems to really understand. They're extremely powerful. Chapter 28 Snape's worst memory. There is an announcement the next day. Who's the new headmaster of Hogwarts? Uh, Professor Umbridge. I'm sure she's going to do a fantastic job. Oh, yes. Perfect. <laughs> having, having read the entire book series and knowing everything that happens between here and the end, I think it's safe to say that Umbridge is the worst headmaster or headmistress or head anything that Hogwarts has ever had or will ever have. Um, they they want to burn practices that must be prohibited. Yeah, that's pretty much all she cares about. Uh, Draco says he's joined a new squad. What's what's his new job? Uh, I don't remember what it's called. The Inquisitorial Squad. But what's what do they do? What's the point of them? They're supposed to catch anybody they see leaving at one specific time. Um, a lot. Well, not only that, they're they're just going to be squealing on people. They're going to be they're like professional snitches now. They're going to be telling on <laughs> uh, everyone who does anything that Umbridge might not like. Fred and George are kind of letting on now that they've pretty much had it with the current situation at Hogwarts, and they're going to be getting into some trouble 
on purpose as soon as possible. Uh, Filch comes to get Harry and says, Umbridge wants to see you. Brings him to Umbridge's office. She gives Harry something to drink, but what does Harry think about this? He's like, eh, no. So what does he do? He says, uh, I'd like tea, please. Um, she gives him, um, a cup of tea and she says, drink up, drink up. And she, and he pretends to drink it, but keeps his lips closed. Yeah. And when she sees him drink, she's very happy. He's like, yes. That he drank it. Perfect. That she thinks he drank it at least. So it's safe to say there's probably something in that tea that Harry doesn't want. Do you remember who he, who he thinks of when he remembers not to drink the tea? He thinks no. he thinks that if Professor Moody had ever seen him drinking something offered by an enemy, that he would have lost his mind. So he he remembers the lessons of his of his teachers that 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 would have been you know a a first rate moron move to drink something given to you by someone who probably wants you dead. Uh, what does she want to know? She's looking for the whereabouts of some people. Who does she, who's she looking for? She wants to know where, I believe, either Dumbledore or Sirius Black is. Both. Okay. Har- Harry says he doesn't know. She believes him. But she believes him because she think he drank what was in his tea. But Harry doesn't know. He does. He probably knows where Sirius is, right? Right. He he knows where Sirius is. He doesn't really know where Dumbledore. But she is. believes him. She also mentions something about her fireplace. What's different about her fireplace than all the other fireplaces at Hogwarts? Hers is the only one that can, um, that can communicate. It's not being watched by the Ministry, right? And we know that it was that girl who snitched on them, the sneak's mom, who's who's monitoring fireplaces for her. So, yeah, thanks a lot, Marietta. Why would she give Harry this information? It seems like something he should not know. I just realized. Uh, speaking of Marietta, um, Harry realized at the end of that conversation when they left D- Dumbledore's office that. Um, um, her eyes were kind of blank, so he thought maybe she was under some kind of spell. So there's a disturbance after, or during, I guess, this uh, interrogation session that distracts everybody. What What's happening downstairs? Is this where they hear that scream? No, this is where they hear some loud, booming noises. That's right. And what are those loud, booming noises? They go downstairs and they see... Um, that someone has set set off a bunch of different fireworks, um, and one of them is like, um, like keeps writing over and over curse words. And obviously, we know who who the culprits are here. Who who's done this? Fred and George. Yeah, they're looking. They said they were looking to make some trouble. They seem like they're not too concerned about staying on Umbridge's good side or even staying out of punishment. They're they want to make a they want to make a point. Right. Yeah. Um. I thought that. Um. They were like inside one of the secret passageways near that place. Near what place? The place they set off the fireworks. Oh, I don't know. I don't know where they Maybe were. Maybe that's later. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um. 
Harry later that night has a another dream. He goes back into his, you know, corridor and dark rooms and all this stuff, but he's got a lot more detail this time. What does he see in this dream that he hasn't seen before? Um, he goes, he sees a bunch of shelves. What does he see on the shelves? Does he see like, uh, Sneaker scopes and faux glasses and stuff? No, it's a bunch of like crystal balls. It's a bunch of glass oh. spheres. Hmm. And he he wants something in this room. His scar is hurting badly. And then he's woken up by fireworks uh, again. I guess the fireworks just get... Oh, that's right. Umbridge has a horrible time turning off the fireworks. Uh, she's just kind of flustered and unable to cope with them. I would imagine if any of the other professors had been all that interested in helping her, they might have stepped in, but maybe, Oh, sorry. I think they might've enjoyed her frustration a little bit. Yeah. Um, maybe this is later. Um, but someone eventually, um, turns on a firework, um, that keeps saying, cool stuff about Harry. Oh, I don't know. Who and that, it goes it all be. the way through the le- um, through the night. But also, there's something really funny that I read in the book. Um, it said, um, 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 that Professor McGonagall, um, wait, okay, somebody was trying to um, unscrew a chandelier that would fall on Umbridge's head. Um, um, and then Professor McGonagall was near and she said, and she said, uh, the other way. <laughs> oh, like they were trying to make it. Mm-hmm. Was it Peeves? Uh, yeah, probably. This is after, yeah, I think you're skipping ahead. This is after Fred and George okay. have made their exit. So, um, so at this point, uh, Fred and George are causing all this trouble with the fireworks, but Harry has this dream again where he needs something. What does that mean in his dream? If he needs something in his dream, who actually needs something? Probably Voldemort. Probably Voldemort is in this room of crystal balls looking for something. Um, it, it stands to reason this is the place he's been trying to get. Harry's been having this dream every night. So now he's he's found at least the location of the thing he's looking for, but he has not yet found the thing he is looking for. So uh, we'll find out later why it's so difficult for Voldemort. It seems like it would have been very simple. Uh, Harry goes to his ne- next oculum Okay, okay, words. <laughs> Harry goes to his next oculumency. Oculumency. Say it again. Oculumency. Oculumency. No, oculumency. <laughs> Harry goes to his next next oculumency lesson. I need to go to my next diction and pronunciation lesson. <laughs> uh, Harry has an argument with Cho. I truly do not remember what it's about. Do you remember what why they argue? No. I don't either. So there's that. Maybe if, if maybe it's because so, they had a terrible date. I don't know. If somebody could tell us about that, then thank you. No, I don't need any emails <laughs> about that. It's not, it's not an important detail. But uh, Harry gets to Snape's office, and Snape is putting some more of his memories in the pin sieve. Again, I think we've established before. These are things Harry Snape knows that he and Harry will be sort of mingling minds. And were Harry to get the upper hand, he might see some things Snape does not want him to see, right? 
Right. So what is he doing in the Pensieve? He's putting memories he doesn't want Harry to see inside the Pensieve. He's hiding them from Harry, yeah. And I'm pretty sure you can take ideas from the Pensieve out again. Yeah, the Pensieve is a very curious instrument that we're never really given a lot of information about. It it seems like, for instance, you could could you take some could you take memories out of the Pensieve that were not yours and put them back in your head? I have no idea. Could you uh, for instance, when you put a memory in the Pensieve, have you forgotten it? And if you have forgotten it, then how would you even know to put it back in? If Snake is taping out pieces of his past, are these now things that he no longer remembers at all? Or does he save a copy of that memory? Because it seems like when Dumbledore does it, it seems like he's getting a backup copy of memories. What I'm, what I think is like, like... Yeah, sort of what you were saying. Um, you still remember it, but you're not thinking about it at that minute. Well, but see, Dumbledore does it because he might forget. And so there's a permanent record of these memories that are important. Snape seems to be doing it to get things out of his head permanently so that no one could see those memories in his mind. Yeah, why would he want to put bad memories back in his head? Well, you know, your bad memories are what sometimes make you who you are. So mm. it, there, there's, it's a, there's a much bigger question raised by all of this. I mean, if you take out all of your bad memories, do you become a different person? You know, I think the Pensieve is one of those devices that they don't spend too much time talking about because like the time turner, it opens up too many possibilities and it would end up being its own story. A lesser author would have probably written an entire story just about a time turner, just about a Pensieve. And in this massive story, they're just tiny pieces of this much bigger tapestry. So, anywho, he's hiding memories, hope, hoping that Harry... But who busts in the door and says, Professor, you gotta come? Uh, Takes him away. Is it McGonagall? Nope, Draco. Oh. Draco pops in. Um, Umbridge needs his help for something. He says Montague has been found. I don't remember who Montague is. Montague um, got van um, like disappeared by a vanishing spell. No, no, he was putting the he was put in the vanishing cabinet mm. some time ago, and then they actually found him stuck in a toilet. Oh, okay. So <laughs> it was a student who was having a problem. Maybe he's a Slytherin, and Snape would be in charge of. You know, yeah, he, um, what happens to him next? M- Montague, I think, is actually on the Slytherin Quidditch team. Okay. So Harry says, eh, maybe I'm going to sneak over and see what those memories were. This is not the most honest thing Harry's done. Certainly there is nothing as, as nasty as Snape is. He is ostensibly trying to help Harry right now by teaching him occlumency. Harry's not trying to learn occlumency at all. He's just trying to learn bad memories about Snape. Well, I'm saying like with all of these lessons, Snape's not a great teacher at this, but he's also not trying to learn. And Dumbledore, even in his final words to Harry, has stressed, you must practice this skill. And try and learn Occlumency as best as you can. He hasn't rehearsed it. He hasn't practiced it on his own. He's actually He doesn't take Snape seriously. He's actually interested in the dreams that he's having about Voldemort. So, instead of doing any of the things he's supposed to do, he's going to go steal memories from Snape. Again, this is not Harry at his most noble and or honest. This is Harry 
being uh, letting the curiosity get the better of him and being kind of uh, dishonest at this point. But he does see some pretty damaging uh, moments from Snape's past. What does he see first? Uh, I thought there was only one memory. That he what sees. do you remember that he saw? He um, he saw um, his father making fun of Snape, I believe. Yeah, before that, he sees just his father and his friends who are right, that's Sirius right. and Lupin in class. Yeah, I think they like um, they're like in the Great Hall taking a um, taking their owls, taking their owls. Um, and then they end up getting done before almost everybody else. Um, so then um, Snape and, um, Snape comes in, and I don't remember. Um, Snape has got his head in a parchment. He's studying his for his test. He's not paying attention to anything. Right. And Sirius is the one that says, like, I'm bored. Let's have some fun with old Snively Snape. Snivelous. Yeah. And so what do they do? Um, or what does James do, rather? Um, first, he makes fun of him um, and then hangs him upside down. Then Lily Evans comes in, who's actually uh, Harry's mother. So what does she, what does she do? She she starts defending Snape. Like, stop that! Yeah, put him down. You're, you know, you're a jerk. And um, James is like, only if you go out with me. <laughs> yeah, so not only is he, is he being a bully at this point, he's also being extremely arrogant. Who in the past told Harry that his father was arrogant? Snape. And we thought maybe he was wrong. It turns out he was dead right. Yeah, we thought he was joking. Yeah, at this point... James. Now, James is a child. He's 15. He's going to make some mistakes. But at this point, he is being cruel. He's being a bully. He's being arrogant. He's he's the aggressor. He's the Draco in this situation to Snape being more like Harry, right? Yeah. Snape literally wasn't hurting anyone or doing any wrong. He's just different. Yeah, he was, he was just studying. It is perhaps even safe to say that the treatment that Snape suffered at the hands of James made him the awkward, unkind person that he is today. He's certainly that way to Harry because of his father, right? Yeah. How does Harry feel about seeing his... First of all, this is the first time he's ever heard his father's voice. It's the first time he's ever seen his father move around in any fashion. All he's ever seen at this point are photos, and photos, you and know, the they can wave. And the ghost of him. That's true. He saw his adult father say, you know, you we'll, have to, we'll help you till you're You whatever. have to get to the port key yeah. when we stop him. So this is the first time he's seen his young father. It's like, there, it's like a home video, you know? But it, it, he still has very little information about his parents' lives. So... He's he's not super happy about what he's seeing. He's not proud of it for sure, right? No. He thinks his father's being a jerk, and he's he's always defended him to Snape just because in his mind he's like, How could my parents be bad? I'm great. Like they should be great too, you know? Um he's wrong. 
His dad was a brat and a jerk, and he was mean to Snape. And so that is, you know, not something that he he wants to see in these people that he idolizes just because they're his parents and they're dead and they, you know, he's, he wants to have positive memories. What happens just as he's about to see whether or not James decides to pull off his underpants? Um, Harry hears Snape say, enough. Um, and, and then he pulls him out of the pensieve and says, bet you enjoyed that, didn't you? Yeah, and he screams at him, you will tell no one of what you've seen. And it, so he's he's pretty positive what memory Harry was watching. Maybe it was the only one in the Pensieve that he had access to at that time. But uh, needless to say, Snape's probably pretty humiliated. Yeah, another thing about the Pensieve, if you want to put a memory back in your head, if that's even possible, how do you choose which one to take out? <laughs> Yeah, and if you take it out and watch it, does that create a new memory of watching it? Do you even need to put it back in at that point? Or is watching it the equivalent of putting it back in? I don't know. Yeah, the conceive is really confusing. It's a confusing device. It's probably not that well thought out. But it works. It works in the story. Um, so yeah, he gets pulled out. And... It's safe to say Harry's never had a successful occlumency lesson of any kind. Uh, they've all sort of ended in one form of disaster or another, right? Yeah. And uh, he tells him, get out of my office, never come back. I think it's safe to say that Harry's occlumency lessons are over at this point. Probably. Chapter 29, Career's Advice. Harry finds out that, well, first of all, he's kind of mopey because of what he's learned about his father. Who comes to cheer him up? Is it Hermione? Nope. Dobby? Nope. Ron? Don't just guess. It's Ginny. <laughs> okay. And she brings him a present. Remember what she brings him to cheer him up? No. She brings him chocolate. And perhaps she's remembering that that was the only thing that cheered him up after the uh, Dementors tried to suck his life away. So she's, But she didn't see any of that. I'm sure the story got around. Hmm. Um, it just shows that Ginny is paying attention to Harry and his well-being when perhaps his other friends are not as aware of his emotional state. There's an announcement that all the fifth years have to talk to their head of house about their career aspirations. What do they want to be? It's it's time, you know, your school your school is coming to a close. So what do you want to be when you grow up? Harry has a uh Harry, or Harry will have a meeting with who? Um I believe it's Well who's his head of house? Oh that's right. It is gonna be McGonagall and Umbridge is apparently gonna be in there. Yeah, because she's gotta be involved in everything. Um Fred and George heard from Ginny that Harry wants to talk to Sirius and they've got a plan. Where do they think would be a good place to talk to Sirius that will not be under the watchful eye of the ministry? In Umbridge's fireplace. Of course, because for some reason Umbridge let on that it was safe to do that there. So they're gonna have to create some sort of distraction, right? Right. Um, Harry sees Hagrid coming limping out of the forest, going to his cabin. Uh, Harry wonders, you know, 
what possibly could have damaged Hagrid. He's so big and strong. Snape is done with Harry at this point. He's ignoring him completely, right? Right. I don't know if this is the point where it happens, but I think it's right around here that Harry is in Snape's class and Snape actually like knocks over one of his potions and gives him a zero. Yeah, he Yeah, that's actually kind of what he does. He either tells one of the students to do it um or does it himself. And he's like another zero, Potter. So, he's he's showing Harry that I'm not Harry. yeah, I'm not not super happy with uh with our last interaction, right? Oh uh, yeah. He um so that afternoon, let's see. Harry goes to his career meeting with McGonagall. Umbridge is there. What job has Harry been considering? In or Now, this is a very interesting part for me because this is something that I experienced as a teenager, and I think it's something a lot of teenagers experience. You say to yourself, I want to be this, and you get it in your head. I think this would be a good job for me. And then someone says, do you understand how hard it is to get that job? Because that's what McGonagall tells Harry. She says, you got to have at least five newts. And, um, and you got to have at least an E in like five different classes. Yeah. Defense against the dark arts, transfiguration, charms, and potions. She's basically saying you're, you're a good kid, Harry, and you're a good wizard, but you are not paying that much attention to your school studies. You're good. And she even says, these are the, you know, Professor Flitwick has always had high marks about you in charms. She mentions that Professor Lupin gave him incredibly high marks in Defense Against the Dark Arts. But. And he's pretty good in Transfiguration. Yeah, but you're not on the path to becoming an Auror. She's almost saying you would have needed to start earlier if you really wanted to become an Auror. So it's not only all this stuff you'd have to do at Hogwarts, but. There's also three years of Auror training. She also mentions that there are no Aurors in training right now at all, and there haven't been for the past three years, which means right around the time Tonks graduated would have been the last time there were new Aurors. She, oh, I'll get it. So she's saying it's hard, it's rare, and you're not, you're not working towards it properly yet. You need to step up your game if this is what you really want. And Umbridge keeps interrupting her, and at the very end of that conversation, um, she changes her mind and says, Potter, no matter what, I will get you to be an Auror. <laughs> I don't remember. Oh, you mean McGonagall says that? Yeah, McGonagall says that. Yeah, because Umbridge basically says, uh, you're not going to work at my ministry. Like, you're, no one's going to welcome you there. You Do you really think the Minister of Magic is going to... Let you be an or like McGonagall says, like, if you haven't guessed, we don't like you. Yeah. McGonagall says, well, there might be a new minister by the time Harry needs to be an or there. She's and she's loses her mind. She's like, oh, so you're going to you're going to get rid of fudge. You're going to get rid of me. You think you're going to be the undersecretary to the minister. You're going to be headmistress like me. She freaks out. Obviously, that has, I mean, they do hope there will be a new minister by then, but this is not what McGonagall cares about. 
She cares about teaching and about Harry and about her students. Umbridge only cares about the power that she has right now and keeping it for as long as possible, right? Yes. So Umbridge has missed the point. And then, yeah, you're right. That's when McGonagall says, that's it, Harry. We're going to make sure that you become an that or. you're an or. It, it's certainly a fitting career. So like I was saying earlier, when you're a kid, you look at the stuff you're good at and you think that's going to be my job. And Harry is good at fighting evil. <laughs> and it just so happens in his world, there is a job for, where, fighting, for fighting evil. evil. That's crazy. Um, it would be like if there was a job of superhero, you know, and you could go have that job. That so for him, awesome. So for him, that's what it means, really. It means he's going to be like a cop slash detective slash superhero. Um, when I was a kid, I used to say things like, I want to be an astronaut. And then somebody would tell me, um, you might not realize this, but astronauts are the highest in their class in high school, the highest in their class in college, and they also usually have military training. You're probably not going to be an astronaut. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I just thought it sounded cool. I thought going to space sounded cool. So it's not to discourage, and I, I definitely don't say that to discourage people from, for instance, wanting to become astronauts, but I do encourage kids... Ask your parents and parents find out for your kids what does it actually take to become these these things that are amazing and, and fantastic and make sure your kids understand there's a lot more to being a fireman than saying I want to be a fireman and there's a lot more to being an astronaut than saying I want to be an astronaut. These are attainable goals, but they're complicated goals. And for Harry, an or is the same thing. He just thinks it sounds cool. You know? Yeah. And it is. And, and probably also because um, a lot of his teacher slash friends are oars. He's met some. That's true. And like I've told you before, you know, you like writing stories and I have friends whose job is author. And so you know it's you more than some kids know that it is possible to do something as uncommon and as creative as being an author is your full-time job, I have several friends that that is their full-time job, and some of them are New York Times uh, best-selling authors. I mean, it's it's a thing that can be done, but you have to work very hard at it. And so I think it helps Harry to know people that are in this profession. It seems like a more realistic goal. You know, if your dad's an astronaut, you probably think, yeah, astronaut seems pretty okay. There's a lot of people, more than you would think, who became president after their dad was president. So it's like, oh, my dad was president. I could probably do that. But we haven't even had 50 presidents in the history of America. So it, that's a super uncommon thing that becomes more realistic when you know someone that's done it. It also helps that you can ask for favors from people that have done it. Like, for instance, oh, you're an astronaut? My dad's an astronaut? Like, maybe put put in a good word for me, you know? So Harry might have that same in with Aurors because he'd be like, hey, Moody, you know, just tell him I'm cool. You know, let me get me in the training program, please. I don't think Harry would do that based on his personality, but the option is there. The option is there for him to say, hey, Tonks, hey, Moody. Uh, can you please, like, help me get into the Auror business? Or at least tell me who I should talk to, you know? Tell me who makes these decisions and who should I go 
to talk uh, to, to learn see. more from. Yeah, yeah, you know. So it helps to have connections. He's got connections. It, it's a pretty safe bet that if anyone's going to end up being an or, if he can study better, Harry's got a pretty good shot. It, two things: if he can study more, and if he can survive. Those, <laughs> those are the two main things working against Harry at this point. Probably but, uh, mostly survive. That's the tough one. So anyway, Harry's got a new mission now, maybe one that he's never had before, which is prove everyone wrong and become an or <laughs> and be awesome at it. <laughs> In the afternoon, Harry uh, enters Umbridge's office. He's got Sirius's knife and he's un- got his invisibility cloak. And he calls Grimmauld Place. Yeah, he got everybody watching out for him. Lupin goes to grab Sirius. He's gone upstairs looking for Creature, but he can't find him. He talks to them about what he saw in the Pensieve, and he's like, what is the deal with my dad? Do you remember what they say? How they defend him or don't? <laughs> um, mm, not really. James and Sirius, or uh, uh, Sirius and uh, Lupin, uh, Lupin basically admit to the fact that James and Sirius were kind of dumb and arrogant at that age, but they grew up shortly thereafter. Had Harry seen some memories from when his father was 16, 17, 18, maybe he would have seen a different guy. What do you think might have happened to James just after that event that might have made him change his personality a little bit for the better? I don't know. What did he ask Lily Evans to do? Go out with him. Did she? Probably, yeah. Considering they got married, right? Uh Uh-huh. So what do you think happened in the next couple of years that made him possibly a less arrogant, less cruel person? Um, get married to her? Probably falling in love with Lily is what made him grow up. I don't think they got, well, they got married right after school, but I don't think they got married in school. So, yeah, he was a jerk, and then he started dating this, you know, nice girl, and maybe it made him calm down a bit. Also, she was defending Snape, so obviously she did not like the way he was treating him. Maybe he just stopped doing it to make her happy. Yeah, um, yeah, maybe she was like, uh, I guess so both james and sirius uh tell harry how important it is that he keep learning occlumency but harry says snape won't teach him anymore and and sirius is like what yeah he says you gotta you gotta convince him to keep giving you lessons there's nothing more important still still every trusted adult in his life is telling harry this is the only thing you should be concerned about he still doesn't really do it. He's being incredibly stubborn. And the bad thing is somebody should have uh, should have said, okay, fine. If you can't learn it from Snape, here's the next person. Go learn it from McGonagall. You know, go learn it from... Go learn it from Dumbledore if he was still around. Well, he's not still around, so if they can't do that. But the whole point is they should have identified Harry's uh, lack of... 
a good teacher-student relationship with Snape and, and maybe le- found someone else to teach him. Go learn it from Flitwick. Lupin is not a fugitive. Lupin could have taught him. You know, and maybe he doesn't know. Maybe this is an uncommon skill that no one knows. Filch comes in, and Harry has just enough time to get under his cloak. Filch is looking for a form that's called an approval for whipping, which means he's looking for an official form that will allow him to whip a child. Bam, bam, bam. And Harry leaves in his cloak. Uh, Fred and George have messed up one of the corridors on their on their prank spree. Do you remember what they did? They put off those fireworks again and then hid in one of the secret passageways. No, that's not it. They have converted one of the corridors into something. Do you remember? Oh, um, wasn't it like uh, some kind of green gap? No, no. They turned it into a swamp. Oh, what's... Which means like uh, knee-deep gross water. I thought that Ginny convinced everyone... Um, oh, that's right. Um, Ginny was the one who convinced everyone don't go down to... Um, to um, Umbridge's office because it's invisible smoke that'll make you pass out. I don't remember that, but they've converted a corridor to the, uh, into a swamp. Umbridge is there. She's just about to throw them in super detention. Yeah. And, and what announcement do they make? That they're leaving. They're leaving school for good. Yeah, they say something like, you know, Fred, I think our future may... Lie outside of higher education. What do you think? He's like, yeah, George, I think we should take our chances in the real world or something like that. So they get on their brooms and fly off just as they're leaving. Yeah, they do an Accio um, and the chains are still on their brooms. So um, Umbridge tries to grab the chain. She's like, no. So just as they fly off, they take one last... uh, sort of opportunity to say, by the way, if you want to buy a portable swamp like the one you've seen here, come to Weasley's Wizard Wheezes in Diagon Alley, which means they do have their joke shop now. Yeah, I think I think they like um rented a shop at in Diagon Alley or something and and in a f- in a few weeks or something, they're going to um they're going to assort all their stuff where they want to be. They're going to open, yeah, they're, they're opening this. Sh- Basically, they've taken the money Harry's given them. They've invested it. They're actually opening their shop, and it will be open for business. Perhaps they always knew this was what was going to happen. Like, I don't think they intended on running a shop and going to school, but they were looking for a good reason to leave, right? Yeah. They wanted to get one last dig in at Umbridge, and they wanted to make her life a little bit more miserable before they left. No one can undo the swamp. Whatever spell they've concocted, it's very powerful because it stays a swamp. I don't know if they explain it there or later, but uh, Filch has to take people to their classes on a little fairy skiff <laughs> across the swamp. So people just kind of have to deal with it. Like, okay, there's a swamp in the school. Let's just use our little tiny fairy. Chapter 30, Grop. <laughs> uh, Fred and George have left school and they they sort of become a legend. Uh, but in... Almost as as if being inspired by them, Peeves is causing more trouble than ever before. 
Uh, actually, as they leave, I believe, they tell Peeves to make Umbridge's life miserable. And he's like, all right. He actually salutes them as they leave, which is odd for Peeves. He doesn't really respect anyone or anything, but perhaps he saw sort of a kindred spirit in Fred and George, right? Yeah, because they're mischief makers for sure. Yeah, and that's all Peeves does. He's a poltergeist, and so he is causing problems for people. Um, Ron and Hermione are wondering how Fred and George managed to buy a shop. And turns out they didn't even know that Harry gave them his Triwizard winnings. Who so, didn't? Uh, Ron and Hermione didn't know. Oh, yeah. I guess that was kind of a secret. Perhaps they didn't want any of the other Weasleys to know because not that they would have taken their money, but they might have needed it, you know? Yeah, and they also might have been a little bit angry with Harry for not giving it to, like, Mr. or Mrs. Weasley. Well, I don't think they would... See, this is a difficult thing. I don't think they would have been angry for for Harry not giving it to them. I think they might have been angry for giving Fred and George a way to get out of school and get everything they wanted. Yeah. Like Mr. and Mrs. Weasley probably would have been, probably would have been happier had they finished school though probably will be happy that their kids are following their dreams and doing what they want to do. But given their preference, I'm sure they would have appreciated it if Fred and George had finished. Plus who knows what they're paying for them to go to school I'm sure they would have liked for that money to have not been wasted, uh, especially considering how tight money is for the Weasleys. So Hermione tells Harry, uh, you got to get back to Occlumency. Again, another person he trusts saying, you cannot give up on this. Hey, I just realized something. Um, um, eventually, um, Fred and George's mom and dad are going to figure figure out that they made a joke shop, they're going to eventually have to ask, how did they get the money for this? Yeah, they'll find out, but it's already too late. It's it's spent. So there's no, really, there's no real point in keeping the secret anymore. Uh, Ron says he heard Harry dreaming, and Harry had that same dream. Goes through the corridor, circular room, full of balls of light, crystal spheres... And now he knows he's going to row 97. So the the picture is getting clearer every night. The location's getting clearer every night. This is the last Quidditch match of the year. And it's against Ravenclaw. So this is going to be for the House Cup. Uh, During the game, though, Harry and Hermione are called away. Who calls them? Um... I believe it's Hagrid. Yeah, and where does Hagrid want to take them? Into the Forbidden Forest. Yeah, not the Friendly Forest. <laughs> I, hope, uh, I wish it was. And he's armed. I think that means he has a gun. He tells them that the centaurs are crazy mad. They're all against him now, except for Frenzy. Well, they're against Frenzy. Oh, yeah. Why are they mad at Frenzy? Because he has joined the wizard world. Yeah, he's gone to teach humans. But Frenzy did that as a favor to Dumbledore. So whatever happened in their past, Frenzy is more loyal to Dumbledore than he is to his own people. Uh, So that says something about Dumbledore, right? About what kind of friend he must be. Perhaps he saved Frenzy's life or something. Possibly. 
it seems like Dumbledore engenders this kind of behavior from a lot of people. This intense loyalty, right? Yeah. He's been around for a long time, you know, well over 100 years. Seems like he's had plenty of opportunity to positively affect, maybe perhaps save many lives. He has all these people that owe him. Okay, so Hagrid has led Ron, no, not Ron, just Harry and Hermione, because Ron's playing Quidditch. Yeah. He's led Harry and Hermione into the Forbidden Forest to show them something. What has he got hidden in the Forbidden Forest? It's his brother-in-law that is a giant. Close. Brother-in-law would mean it's his sister's, or his, yeah, his sister's, his wife's brother. It's his. No. It's his half brother. Oh. Half brother is same one parent, but not same other parent. Okay. In this case, Hagrid being a half giant means he's got one human parent. Uh, have you said his name yet? Who's in the forest? His name is Grop. Grop. It's it's Hagrid's half brother, Grop. Grop is a full giant, right? Yes. His mother. What was her name? Werewolfina or something? Uh, it's... Wolfaba? Uh, it's... Um, uh, Ed Wolfa. Fred Wolfa. Fred Wolfa. Fred Wolfa, yeah. Uh, this is Fred Wolfa, who has now passed away. This is her other child. So, obviously, when Hagrid went to meet the giants, to tr- what he called a parlay with the giants, he found out about his brother and couldn't bear to see him living, I don't know, happy and free with the other giants, I guess. And so now he's got him tied up in the forest. It is... It seems to me that this is much like Hagrid thinking that giant spiders are cute and evil murderous blast-ended scroots are cute and all these other horrible things that he... He does not understand their true intentions. Do you think Grop is happy being tied up in the forest? No. Do you think he wanted to leave the Giants? No. Probably not. Do you think he has any concern for Hagrid whatsoever? Probably not. He's basically a monster. Hagrid has a lot of feelings for him. Especially because it's his half-brother. He thinks it's his little brother. He thinks he's he thinks he's going to take care of him. And uh, this is completely unnecessary, for one thing, and completely impossible. Uh, Hagrid is not big enough and strong enough to make anything happen. In this string of bad decisions, why has Hagrid brought Harry and Hermione here to tell them about Grop? And what may be his worst decision to date? What's the purpose of this? The purpose of showing them Grop is um, just in case that he gets fired... Um, he wants, um, Harry, Hermione, and Ron to look after him. What are they going to do for this giant? What could they possibly do? Like, literally, is it a, it is a giant. Yeah, I mean, Hagrid's like 11 feet tall, and Grop is like 25 feet tall. And the kids are only like, I don't know, four to five feet. He says Grop catches his own food, so I guess that means he, you know, catches woodland creatures and eats them. But he wants them to keep Grop company. I don't think Grop wants anything to do with human children. He'd probably break them in half and eat them. Uh, 
this is just a horrible idea. And it's, again, it's, it's Hagrid, his judgment being clouded by his heart. He, he wants things to be a certain way because it would be nice, but it's not the way that things actually are. Something that I remember in the book that was funny, um, um, they're, Hagrid is trying to introduce um, Grop to Harry and Hermione, and since Hermione is hard to say for a giant, um, Hagrid asks, would it be okay if he called you Hermes. <laughs> oh, because he can't say it. Yeah. He can't really say anything. He can't talk. They they even mentioned in the book that they can't tell if Grop even interprets what Hagrid's saying as speech. He just kind of grunts. Um, on their way out of the forest, after one massive danger, they Hermione kind of whispers to Harry, like, you know, is it any uh, surprise that he might get sacked after what we just saw. She is sympathizing with the idea that maybe Hagrid should be fired because he's kind of out of his mind right now in terms of endangering children. I think there is, I think the number one problem with the way Hagrid constantly puts other people in danger without realizing it is how strong he is. Like he might say, Oh, you know, you can pick up that boiling kettle. It won't burn you because it doesn't burn him. You know? Yeah. He might say, this giant evil spider can't hurt you because it can't hurt or it wouldn't hurt him. He doesn't seem to realize how frail and breakable the average human wizard is. (laughs) On their way out, they run into some centaurs, one called Magorian. What do they tell Hagrid? don't know. Is he welcome in the forest? No. So what do they tell Hagrid? They tell him that probably this is his last warning. They say, the only reason we're going to let you go is because your your children are here. Oh. Bane shows up and says, these aren't his kids. These are his students. But they decide to let him go anyway. But they know that Hagrid now is not... The, the centaurs are not a fan of Hagrid. Uh, I don't think they appreciate that Hagrid's tied up a giant in their jungle uh, or their forest. I would imagine that Grop is probably eating some of the animals that they might be hunting for themselves. That's assuming centaurs aren't vegetarian. I don't actually know that or not. Um, they get back and to the castle and Ron's got some great news. What is Ron's news? Okay, actually, first they hear a, um, a start of Weasley is our king. Um, but then Hermione listens closer and she's like, what? Because um, in the song, it actually cha- they actually changed the words to literally Weasley is our king, a good thing for the Gryffindors. Explain. Th- what do you mean change the words? What are you talking about? Um, they... Instead of um, um, instead of saying um, he always lets the Quafflin, they um, they say he never lets the Quafflin. Oh, you mean because the the Slytherins were singing Weasley is our king before, because he or whoever the other team was singing that, right? Gryffindor was singing Weasley is our king because they won. 
No, I'm saying the first time that song was sung, it was a it was making fun of Ron. Right. And it was being sung by the other team. Right. This time they took the song and made it about how he was actually really good. Yeah, he's he's leveled up. He's he's become a better keeper than anyone ever would have given him credit for, right? Yeah, he um uh, uh, they they know that now because they won. They won the House Cup. Yeah. And apparently almost entirely due to Ron. The uh, the Quidditch Cup actually. Not the House Cup, right? The Quidditch Cup which yeah, okay. So so Ron's beaming. He's he's uh he's got a big silver cup in his hands. He can't believe it. They Hermione and, and Harry tell Ron about Grop. Obviously, he's not too anxious to go meet Grop, I don't like, think. Oh, come on. They overhear Draco talking about how his father is close to the Wizarding Examinations Authority. Neville thinks this isn't true. Because Griselda Marchbanks is a friend of his grandmother, and she's never mentioned the Malfoys, and she's in charge of that, I guess. I don't actually know what the Wizarding Examinations Authority does, but it seems like anything that Malfoy's father might be involved with is bad for our friends. But Neville said that um, she had never mentioned it before. Right, so maybe it's not true. I don't know. Um, There is a a black market arising in the school for concentration aids, spells and potions that can increase brain power and that sort of thing, right? Yeah. But they don't work. None of them actually work. But it seems like in this world, there might actually be some good spells that would make your brain work better, make you smarter. I don't know. Perhaps that's one of the things that magic just doesn't do or it's too complicated, right? Yeah. McGonagall does mention, however, that there are anti-cheating spells. Actually, though, there are potions called wit-sharpening potions. Yeah, but maybe that th- I think that's what they're talking about, where Hermione says they don't work. They're like scams. Oh, weird. I don't know. Uh, McGonagall says there's several things that have been banned. Auto-answer quills, remember-alls, detachable cribbing cuffs, and self-correcting ink. These are all things that you might be able to use to cheat. They sound pretty handy. What are the three things? What is the third thing? Self-correcting ink. No, the third thing. Detachable cribbing cuffs. What is that? It's like a a sleeve that might have notes in it. You could look at your arm and be like, oh, mm. okay. So during dinner, they see the examiners arrive. I guess that's what this, this must be what what Malfoy was talking about. Uh, examiners, as in the people that administer the tests, must not be people working at Hogwarts. They must be working directly for the ministry, I guess. Mm. And he was saying that his father is involved in that now. So that seems odd that they would send in like outside testers that are not teachers at the school. Mm. Who knows? Um, then they have their their tests in Transfiguration and Herbology. For Professor for Defense Against the Dark Arts exam, there's this Professor Tofty that uh he's heard of Harry that he can conjure Patronus. He can't believe it. So what does Harry do? Uh doesn't Professor Tofty ask him to um do an example of a Patronus? Yeah, and he does it, and they're all blown away. 
what Professor Tofty and the other examiners don't know is that Harry's taught this to like a third of the school. <laughs> so they could all do it, but I think they're maybe, you know, keeping the goings on of Dumbledore's army a secret. I guess at this point, Umbridge and everyone else assumes Dumbledore's army is now defunct. Um, but I don't know. I guess they're, yeah, they're not having meetings, right? No, I think they are. They're still getting away with it, even though their 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 location was found out. I believe so. I don't think so. They, she knows about the room of requirement. How could they possibly still have meetings if she knows the only place where they could have meetings? I don't know. Maybe they like built an entire room. <laughs> I don't believe they. Yeah, I don't think that happened. I, so that there there must not be any. DA meetings going on right now. Uh, the divination exam does not go well, I guess for Harry. Uh, and his astronomy exam, he says, went well enough. No, um, divination. Um, who teaches that? Well, now it's forensic. That's right. Um, actually, a lot happens during that. Um. That we should probably know about. Okay, what happens? So, they're all taking notes on, like, Jupiter and Venus and stuff. That's astronomy. Astronomy. Then that happens in astronomy. Okay, so what happens? In in astronomy, um, it's obviously during night. Um, so they're all taking down notes about Jupiter and Venus and whatever. Um, then they, um... Oh, well, yeah, we're not, we weren't there yet. Oh. This is, he has an astronomy theory exam, but oh. then, then the practical astronomy exam is what you're talking about. They have to wait tonight so that they can see the planets. Oh, okay. So yes, go ahead and tell me what happens then. Um, so they're, like I said, taking notes. Um, then I don't, I don't know if Harry see, sees it or hears it first, but whichever, um, he sees that Hagrid and a few other riz- wizards either come out of the forest or the cabin um, that Hagrid lives in. Um, um, and they're all doing stup- stupefy charms. At yeah, he him. sees red sparks going like crazy. Um, and they're and they're all doing it at um, at him. But I guess since he's half giant. It, he's so powerful that it won't knock him out immediately. Um, Fang is also out there, um, so one of them eventually shoots Fang, then Hagrid goes insane. Yeah. So he starts trying to fight it back as hard as he can. He never uses magic, though, which, no. which again, always goes back to my question, to does Hagrid ever, is he ever officially allowed to use magic since he's been acquitted of his crime? Uh, we not, don't know. We never know. Not, no one, not so far. No one ever says. I should look up and see if like J.K. Rowling's ever told anyone in an interview. But he still doesn't do it. And that my other theory is that he's gone his whole life without really using magic as an adult. So he's used to it. Yeah. So he's just using his massive size and strength to his advantage. So, um, yeah. Um, and then McGonagall comes out. Um, cause she's realized what's happened. Um, and then everybody, like at least four people shoot soup, stupefy at her right in the chest. So she gets knocked out pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, 
um, and then they kind of all just um, ignore their tests and watch what's going on. Yeah, but Hag- what does Hagrid say to these people? First of all, who is it? It's it's Umbridge and a bunch of Aurors from the Ministry, actually. Yeah. She has somehow convinced them that Hagrid must be, I don't know, arrested, taken to Azkaban. He thought he was just going to get fired. It seems like they are trying to physically haul him off. Because even if he was fired as professor of care of magical creatures, he's still the groundskeeper, right? Yeah. But what happened the last time she fired a teacher? Um, they got to um, they got to stay at the castle because it was Professor Trelawney, and she fired her, assuming you got to get out of here. Dumbledore said, "Nope, you get to stay." I wonder now that Dumbledore is gone if Trelawney is even still there. Maybe she's just kind of keeping it low key and not trying to get anybody's bad side. But I think having seen what happened last time that I fired someone and they're still here, she's not taking that chance with Hagrid. But what would she do? I mean, they they don't say, but was she going to put him in Azkaban? I don't know. It seems crazy that yeah. they, they, they wouldn't just fire him and say, you know, get off the grounds. They're trying to physically remove him. They fail. Obviously, yeah. And he runs off with Fang. Yeah. Harry takes his next or last test, which is in, oh, which one was it? History of Magic. And he dozes off and has another dream. This dream is incredibly important. What happens then? In this dream, there are so many of them, I can't remember what happens. <laughs> well, this is the one where he sees someone being tortured by Voldemort. That's right. Um, so he's in Voldemort's eyes again, um, and he has his wand out, and there's a man either in front of him or on the floor already. Um, so then um, um, Voldemort does an accru an accrucio to the man and Harry realizes that it's either um no it's serious isn't it yeah it's serious yeah so and Voldemort is doing the crucio he's he's uh he's saying like Sirius is saying like you know you're never gonna get me to give up Harry or something I can't remember what he says but uh Harry is under the impression now that this is not just a dream, right? Right. Because the last time he had a dream about someone being attacked, what happened? Um. Oh, it actually happened. To Mr. Weasley. Yeah. So Harry has no reason to think this isn't happening right now. He wakes up, his scar's on fire, he's freaking out. I guess Professor Tofty was the one administering this exam because... Professor Tofty wants to take Harry to the hospital wing. Harry says, no, he has to go see McGonagall. Madame Pomfrey says McGonagall has been transferred to St. Mungo's. Hang on. Am I reading that right? Yeah, I think so. Why would McGonagall go to St. Mungo's? Is she sick? Because of the stupefy charm. Oh, because she was attacked during the Hagrid incident? Yes. So she came to defend Hagrid. Yeah, she came out on the... 
Yeah, I already said that. I missed um, that. Yeah, I ca- she came out on the grounds to try and help Hagrid. And she's like, stop that, stop that, stop that. And then f- at least four of the ministry equivalents shoot a stupefy at her at one time. Okay, so she, yeah, she's beat up pretty bad. So she is in the hospital. Harry's got to get to a order member, but has no access now. He doesn't have Hagrid. He doesn't have McGonagall. He could tell Snape, I suppose. He goes to find Hermione and Ron. He tells them Voldemort's got Sirius in the ministry and he's in the Department of Mysteries. Ginny and Luna come in and they want to distract the Inquisitorial squad so they can sneak into Umbridge's office again to check on Sirius. Maybe ask Lupin, did is he there? Did this really happen, right? Right. Harry goes to get his knife and his invisibility cloak. On his way, someone tells him that the end exam celebration uh, is going to be held, I guess, that evening. And they get into Umbridge's office, and using the flu powder, Harry sticks his head in and tries to go to Grimmauld Place. Creature is there, and his hands are injured, and they're bandaged. That's odd. Creature walks away saying he's going to go chat with his mistress. Um, And he also says um, that something like Sirius won't be around for much longer or something. Yeah, he says, was Sirius there? And he says, like, my master is gone and he will not be returning. So that seems to sort of confirm Harry's fears. That and definitely that creature is a bad thing, and they you know they already knew that. Um, that's a they're sort of just ignoring the fact that creature is loyal to evil people. I think they think he's harmless the same way everyone thinks that all house elves are harmless. We'll soon learn that house elves are not harmless, they're quite powerful, but uh, anywho, so so Harry's more freaked out than before. And uh, who then interrupts Harry as he's talking in the fireplace? Is it Umbridge or Filch? It's Umbridge. Right. She had stealth-censoring spells placed on her doorway. Yeah, that's right. Harry looked at the door expecting something to happen to him, but surprisingly nothing. Yeah, and so uh, Millicent Bolstrode has got Hermione... And um, Malfoy is there, and they've got Ron and Ginny and Luna and Neville, and they're all being held by Slytherins. Uh, crabs there, they're 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 sort of being uh, held captive by the Inquisitorial squad. Umbridge sends Malfoy to get Snape, and he arrives. What does Umbridge ask him for? Um, truth-telling potion his veritas serum the truth potion that's right and and he says he doesn't have any yeah because what did he use his very last bottle on um that's right um the drink for harry yeah so now harry knows for sure there was something in that drink definitely (laughs) glad i didn't drink that but that's the reason that umbridge believed everything he said because she thought he was under a spell you, when you do see the movie after this, you'll be very confused because all of this gets changed around. 
okay. uh, different people are involved and all, they, they condense it to involve fewer characters, but uh, it, it's quite different. Also, I'm just going to point out right now, when you finally see Grop, he looks ridiculous in the movies. <laughs> he is not a big evil giant monster that looks like rock skinned and crazy. He looks like a big dumb CGI baby. What? And it's, it's probably the worst computer animation they do from this point on. Like there's there's stuff in the earlier movies that looks bad because it's so old, but Grop looks ridiculous. <laughs> um it's just kind of embarrassing how dumb his face looks for how far they've gotten uh graphics wise in the rest of the films. Anyway, you'll see it pretty soon. Uh so so Harry's glad he didn't drink that stuff. He would have given away his secrets. Uh, Snape is also sort of, I think in his own way, trying to let Harry know that I have been coerced into providing her with Veritaserum to interrogate students. You know, he's maybe trying to, in some small way, let Harry know that he's still on his side. Maybe. Whether he wants to be, he's at least on the side of the order. Not necessarily on Harry's side, but they're both on the side of the order. Snape is like, you know, you used my last Vatisum interrogating Potter. And he leaves. Uh, no, what does Harry um, shout at him? Hold on. Um, Umbridge actually says before that, couldn't you make some more? He says, yes, but the ingredients are very complicated. Yeah, so we can't make more right now. And uh, even if he could, I bet he wouldn't for her. You know, he, Snape's, he's a lot of things, but I don't think he's on Umbridge's side in any way. What does Harry shout at Snape? He's got to get a message to the Order. So what does he say? Sirius is captured. But what does he say? I don't remember. He says he's got Padfoot. He's got Padfoot at the place where it's hidden. Which is a way of saying... He's got Sirius. He is Voldemort. Padfoot is Sirius. And they don't know what is hidden, but they know it's at the Department of Mysteries. So he's telling him, Voldemort has Sirius at the Department of Mysteries. Umbridge says, what, you know, what does this mean? I haven't the foggiest. And he, he leaves. Obviously, he does know. He just doesn't want to get Potter in trouble. Now, it's interesting to point out here that we have no reason to know that Snape knows uh, Sirius's nickname because when he saw the Marauder's map that mentioned Padfoot, he didn't immediately go Sirius Black, you know? Yeah. So maybe he's guessing because he he does now know that Sirius turns into a dog. They He's seen Sirius go out in public this way before, I'm sure. So he might just be guessing. At this point, yeah, and he's also and yeah, and I also know that he's seen the Marauders map before. Well, there is a point when he asks Lupin, uh, you know, did he get it from the original authors? So maybe he knows from their school days that these four made the map, but we don't know for certain that he knows what Padfoot means. He might just be interpreting. Oh, you mean the guy that can turn into a dog? I guess. <clears throat> so anyway. <laughs> Obviously, Snape is going to leave now and inform the Order that Sirius is missing, or that Sirius is in trouble, at least. So Umbridge has decided 
<clears throat> the only way that she's going to get Harry to talk is to use the Cruciatus curse. She no longer cares about, uh, well, maybe she never did care about not using unforgivable curses, not using them on students. She's lost it. She even confesses to Harry that she's the one that sent the Dementors after him last summer when he was with Dudley and presumably to kill him. Yeah, and it was only her. The the, uh, the rest of the ministry did not know about it. Yeah, she says what, what Fudge doesn't know doesn't hurt him. So she has a personal vendetta against Harry after that uh, court trial, I guess. And, well, that was before the court trial. I don't know how she even knew or cared about him before, other than knowing that he's famous. Um, she's about to perform the Cruciatus Curse on Harry. Hermione runs in, or Hermione's there already, and she busts out saying, uh, just tell her, Harry, tell her, tell her what she wants to know. Tell her where it is. What What is she trying to get Harry to falsely confess to? Um, a weapon that they've been constructing. Constructing. Yeah, she's... And this is what Umbridge is waiting to hear. She's... She knows now in her mind that the Dumbledore's army was created by Dumbledore to take over the ministry. And so now she wants to know, she loves the idea that they would have had a secret weapon. It validates everything she was afraid of. And the idea that she's going to get to see it and be the one to find it and tell Fudge about it, it makes her a hero for her side. So Harry said, uh, where... Where do they, this might be in the next chapter, but where do they tell him, tell her the the weapon is? Do you know? No. Okay, that's in the next chapter. So she says, just tell her, Harry, tell her about the weapon and we'll take her to it. So at that point, Umbridge says, all right, lead me to the weapon. And they take off. Yeah, and the the Inquisitorial squad keeps saying, but... But we want to come with you. Come on, take us. I'm not sure why she doesn't, if it's explained. It is, but I don't remember what they say. So our next chapter is going to be 33, Fight and Flight. And our next episode is going to be the end of this book. So we'll be able to wrap up this entire story. Uh, There's some real events in the next next. Uh, six chapters or so that are going to change Harry's world forever. Really? Definitely. And then from here on out, every five minutes, something horrible and irreparable happens to Harry. So uh, it's it's definitely taken a a dark turn from here, and it's a much more serious series of events. And uh, Harry's life keeps getting slightly more and more unbearable. Uh, until the very end of the series. So, you know, good for us, I guess. We're heading into bleak and dark territory in the world of Harry Potter. But there's some bright moments, too. But it gets it gets a lot worse before it gets better. I'll just say that much. <laughs> so, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to the band Harry and the Potters for their theme song, or letting us use their song. This book is so awesome as our theme song. Thank you for putting up with my now cough-riddled throat as I had to pause a while back and choke to death. 
<laughs> on some coffee. And now I can't speak. I sound like uh, Voldemort <laughs> at this point. Uh, but I do want to encourage you to leave us a positive review on iTunes if you enjoy the show. It'll help more people find the podcast. It'll help. Uh, I don't really care about the rankings, but I do care about, you know, getting it out there to people that might enjoy listening along as perhaps they read along with their children through the book series. And uh, if you also feel so inclined, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash hijinks and Sue, H-I-J-I-N-K-S-E-N-S-U-E. Put in two, three, four, five bucks a month, and that will certainly help us to continue making Potter and Daughter and help me continue to be making more fun things and putting them out there for free in the world, like comics and whatnot. Uh, for Potter and Daughter, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And other than the gravelly, scratchy sound of my voice, what do you think? Good episode? Great episode. High five. 15 high fives. <laughs> okay. How many was that? Okay. <laughs> Goodbye. This book is so awesome.